This is Mystic Skeptic Radio Show and Podcast. We continue our conversation about race in North America. Except that what you kind of so described I- there is more like who's the more oppressed. You know, that kind of like competition amongst who has the more oppression or pay attention to me. You know, because you see that anyways, like if you... If I speak up for BLM or Black Lives, then some I get shut up sometimes, like because I'm First Nations. So you know, there's that kind of oppression amongst oppressed, right? Whereas the need to put an X behind Latin seems to me to be more about the fact that there just is a gendered descriptor there. You know, I hear what you're saying for you know, sure. I, I... I agree with you. I agree with you. I I also but I not but and I also feel it's like just different layers is all the thing is right. They're both yeah. valid points, right? I think that um both are efforts to give visibility to folks who don't. There's yeah, who are looking for ways in language. <laughs> Right. To to show themselves and their experiences. Yeah. I think it should be a choice. Like when I did the census that I almost got fined for not doing, they gave me like 20 different uh, categories that I could be part of. And I'm not a Chicano because I wasn't born here. And I'm not a whatever else. They had Hispanic, they had white. Or was it not Hispanic, white? And then they had. Mexican and they had Cuban or whatever like they they threw all these things and grab one as long as it's not What we define as white they'll grab that and check them out So now they should just add Latinx for people who feel identified with that Because they feel the language does not speak about who they are, but you know French Hebrew there's a bunch of languages that are um, Genderized and they are random like they say a table is feminine and a chair is masculine or like there's weird stuff that you could go back and say you know that's sexist like why everything that lays down and <laughs> i just i remember actually being a kid in french because uh, i grew up in bilingual ottawa and um i remember actually making a choice not to learn french because it pissed me off that if you had a group of 50 women and there was one man in the group it had to be a masculine and i was just like i don't want to know that i'm not into it <laughs> so similarly if, if if they'd found a way to you know lomex i might have been more <laughs> akin because it is a genderized language and you know english has made some attempts at non-gendering like actor or, or wait or server rather than waitress, but I have I get bothered by gendered language. So just when you I, mentioned French. <laughs> yeah. I I think it's interesting how racialized the English language is. You know, I mean there when you talk about immigration, people are thinking Mexico, <laughs> you know, or when you talk about uh, black and all the negative things that are associated with it, us work in similar ways. Um, yeah, I think that they, they work in similar ways. Also, one more story. I'm interested in what Amber with names. I was wondering if you had anything to say about that. 
Yeah, you know, actually, I did because uh, here in Canada we have a slightly different. Uh, so it actually happens in Vancouver all the time, where um, Asians come here and have to find their Canadian name, like it's really bothersome to me like i've met so many asians and they'll be i'll be like what's your name and then they're like joe is my canadian name like what and this is what we require of them We're not like you know as a society it's obviously not required from the government to like get rid of your name and give yourself a new one but pretty much i would say 90 percent probably of asians living in vancouver have a canadian name that they've just given themselves so that they don't have to repeat their name over and over again because our tongues, this is what we, you know, the article said, which I was like, yeah, we give that excuse. Our tongues aren't used to it. Well, people learn eight languages. There's polyglots all over the place. We learn how to speak many languages. We can figure it out, you know, and there's just such a polite way to do that. And I'm a hairdresser. Again, I have to ask people pronunciations of their name on the regular. It's not hard to do. You know, it really is not a hard thing to be like, story, how do I pronounce your name? And somebody who has a name that is deemed difficult to pronounce, they're used to that. You know, they they prefer that you ask than you just brutalize the saying of their name. I don't know. I just think it's 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 a loss of politeness in the world. Let's talk about you, think, can I just a quick question that makes me think of the folks who use the gender pronouns and how initially I remember the first time I, I um, encountered someone that wanted to, it was like, no, the, they, them, they. I was like, what? Because I, I, I really, I had never thought about something as simple as that, you know, that, re that re simple, a very simple request. But we, we ended up having a conversation about just the hostility <laughs> that was like directed towards them for, for simply asking to be referred to as they or them. You know, I, I just think that it's, it's a really interesting how, how all of these things connect with, um, but I, I the, with um, the way that we recognize people. Cause I think that that falls into the category of power when you, if, 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 the expectation is that you're going to take the time to uh, to try to find out how someone wants to be um, identified, you know, how they they want to self-identify. Then you're you're not, um, re you know, diminishing their humanity. You're actually highlighting it because you're taking the time to see who they really are. And why is it plural? Why is it they or them when it's just one person? Because it'd be like, rather than saying he went to the store, they went, they went, or they said this, it's gender neutral. Well, and they and them isn't always plural, right? It can be actually That's used not. as a single, singular. It just is somebody who doesn't want to like, who doesn't not want to, they don't identify female or male. So they just, mm -hmm. so they want to not be he or she. So it's, it's again, part of that language thing where we don't actually have to assign a gender when we're talking about someone, you know? And I, I like also was a little, and I have a, I grew up with an outed gay father. So this stuff I feel really like open to, but when it, the conversations first started where people wanted to be 
like termed they, I also was like, whoa, that's, you know, a whole new way of thinking. But I find myself now as I try to like make it more of my, my habit that it's, if I'm not sure, I'm trying now to go to just they or them when I'm talking about somebody, if I have no idea what they want to be coined as. So I think that's an easy thing that we can change our language structure to, you know, to just be like they or them, because it can be plural or singular. It doesn't have to be one or the other. But then you get labeled um, PC <laughs> when you say things. You know what I mean? That's that. That's what's frustrating, you know. Because siblings, spouse. I mean, there. We don't have to necessarily. But I guess in those instances where gender is a must, you need to know. Um, then you go there. But uh, yeah. That's like really limited when I need to know basis, you know, you that's a medical professional really who needs to know what hormones you actually have in your body or what sex organs you have. It's a very minimal amount of people that actually need to know that information, yeah. I think. No, I, I agree. I want to see how radical you're willing to go. So, <laughs> okay, is he coming out with it? What is your doozy <laughs> <laughs> if we're gonna take it all the way like why don't i get rid of our english uh, or spanish names like why why not go all the way to have a, a native name or a african name or in case of um angela um a roman name back from her ancestors who they were tribesmen in in rome before uh, it became a, an empire or a nation why not like take it all the way back and stop using these ridiculous colonial system? Because uh, the Chicano activists for me um, get on my nerves because they start talking about the new Aslan that is this mythical place that it was in Oregon and that's where the Aztecs came from, but they don't speak Spanish. And even Spanish is a colonial language, so they should be speaking Aztec. And then, you know, they tell me that Mexico is so wonderful and they never even been there. So uh, if we're gonna go all the way, like create our own nation of of people from the earth and people who are outside of these systems that were imposed on us, why why not go all the way like that? Like people in the '70s, they were getting rid of their uh, slave name, or or was it in the '40s with Malcolm X and people like that? Like why not go that radical? Well, I know in our culture, there's definitely a swing back to that. Like, there's a lot of people who are taking back traditional names or naming their, like, I would say kind of the under 30 generation is, a lot, like, are now starting to get named more traditionally. So that's certainly, in my culture anyways, starting to be seen, I've noticed. What about you, Angela? Um, not so much. I still see quite a curious, uh, more an offset of modernity where the uniqueness of names is what's trying to be found, which can t t lean heavily into appropriation. Um, but then again, as radicals, I was going to bring up, this is not necessarily my culture, but um, 
I forget the language, but there's a couple alternate, you know, people that have tried to spark a universal language or a different way of communicating with simpler words so that there's less room for for mis miscommunication, for easier ways to express with each other. But yeah, I found in my very immediate community, most of my friends have very, very colorful names for their children, <laughs> um, but not necessarily. I actually tend to bring up, there's been a lot of, actually, there's been a lot of discussion in groups lately or communities that I have that are a bit more conscious of of tradition and where names come from. So doing ancestral history, because it is quite a lot of diasporic communities that are, everybody's a little, whoa, where is the ground? Um, so second generation, <laughs> third generation is trying to actually learn what the history is of their colonial role. Um, and to, to, instead of just feeling this inherent guilt, it's like understanding the positionality of every player within the, the, the history. Um, and then also I often bring up, what does your name mean? Like I'll ask people, I'll go look up people's names and what is the actual tradition, like the history of a name that you're actually being called. So mine is Angela, which is angelic, so a creature from the God. My middle name is Sarah, uh, royalty. <laughs> and then my last name is famous. So the Italian fama. Um, and it's just, it's interesting what it feels like to, to own my name even though it doesn't, to me, does not have anything past just my mother's choice to make those names in me, you know? But I think a title is so important, and when you when you don't respect how someone says their name or what they are choosing, I've, I have so many times I've asked people, what's your name? And they'll say, oh, my English name. I'll say, no, 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 like, cool, but but which name do you, what, what is your name? What do you prefer? They're like, oh no, it's gonna be two, you won't. And I'm like, I'm, I'm asking, like, I, I wanna actually know your name. <laughs> but culturally it's been so brought in. It's like, no, 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 no. I, there's no space to share my name here. So I think it's so disrespectful to not hear another's title, whatever it is they choose to call themselves, whether it's a gender or whether it's a, a name. Yeah, little rant, I'm done now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's such an honor when it's shared with me. I feel like I'm getting a, being trusted enough to be told when people do tell me. How about you, Gerald? Um, have you come across people getting rid of their Americanized name or or making it uh, a point to to name their children uh, different names from different cultures? church or something they connect with i mean it happens i'm i'm I've, i'm an american i feel like um i have an american name my name since we're doing name stories means a uh, man on a horse throwing a spear believe it or not that's what gerald <laughs> means but i think that there's the cost there's a cost um to doing that you know now within the black community in particular, you, if you're applying for work or, you know, you've heard that story for jobs and you have a black sounding name, whatever that means, that you, you may, you know, be taking yourself out of the, the pile for consideration. I think that, um, but because the demographics of the country are changing, I think that there's probably going to be a tipping point uh, where People are much more accepting of names that uh, that don't sound like uh, traditional or uh, American names or Europe European names, and I think that 
but it's gonna it won't be an easy transition uh, and you know someone you see i you see it a lot within the black community and uh, so i would say yeah it's it's happening but i think more there's it may change because of the time that we've had with um with trump in office you know uh, people may now that they're so much more comfortable pushing back on different people who um are different um you never know like you say you you believe you were speaking earlier about the woman who may have thought that you uh didn't have a, a mexican heritage but if if you had an, um, a mexican sounding name or a mexican name then you know who knows what would happen in that situation you know well, she she was aware that I was born in Mexico, so that's that's even the the saddest what? part. Yeah. So, but again, the the way I look, the visual, yeah. Yeah, I didn't get that part. I, so she was being uh, <laughs> a pain in the butt. Right. So um, so my friends were discussing how. You can love an artist for their art, but you can hate them for their personal life. Uh, I, I won't get into uh, people who have been outed as uh, perverts or hurting people, whatever, but they're very talented and they have a lot of, uh, you know, um, beautiful stuff to bring to humanity. Uh, can, can European culture be that? Can we say, you know, all the pillaging and the raping and the destroying of people's cultures and taking away their their freedom and stuff like that. Well, that's horrible. But, you know, they made roads and they brought trading routes and they brought art and, and a little bit of culture, whatever. Can can we do that? Like, is that allowed? Or because that's another thing that people would say, well, are you trashing all of European influence in the world? Or are you just focusing on the things that are hateful, like slavery and, and and the pillaging of, of native lands and stuff like that. Um, have you guys ever thought about that? Of Because I think there has to be caveats to have a conversation. If you walk in into a room and you say, this is bull, I'm done with this uh, you know, system, I want to create a new system where everything is beautiful and we all get along and stuff like that, you get kicked out as a crazy hippie who who's just disruptive. Um, when you have say- you that, that? <laughs> have you tried that <laughs> yeah, Personal actually, among other hippies like it's, it's weird when you start hanging out with hippies you realize that they're very conformist they mm -hmm. they pretend that they're very like out there but then in reality they they have a system and and if you venture off from that then you're the problem but gerald when you say you know being an american like i i remember when i was interviewing people from the south in tennessee and they're like, you know, we're proud of being Southerners. And then I would be like, what are you proud about? And they get quiet because no one had ever asked them that. And they're like, well, you know, our food and our values and this and that. And, and I, are you talking about white Southerners or black Southerners? Well, it was white Southerners. Okay. And, you know, they were like defending the, the Confederate flag and they were defending their, their thing. And like, I'm in Texas and I'm like, we're south and we don't have any confederate flags and i don't know what you're talking about but um so there was this thing of like 
pausing and realizing that it, do they really have that much to be proud of? So American culture and American, you know, identity, what are the things that, that we can be proud of? And the same would be with Canadian. Like, do you guys feel like, you know, I'm proud to be a Canadian or it's like, I'm just here. I'm just, um, they, they took over and they build it into something, but like we get back to the original, um, Canada or the original America or the United States. Does that ever come up? Like, what can we appreciate from the this culture that we live in, and what can we toss out to try to make it better? Did I stop? I mean, you? I get asked. I get this uh, question all the time. What's that, Gerald? No. I... Go ahead. You said you get this question all the time. Yeah, I do get this question all the time because being First Nations and when you're in advocacy for First Nations, I get it all the time. And in particular, my white family is the one who probably poised a very similar question to me the most about what do I want? Like, do I want to just like, do I even want to be Canadian was actually posed to me. And it's like being half, it makes it even much more complex. But I think the question is a funny one because it's like asking melted cheese to go back to its nap to its other form. It's a chemical reaction that happened. You can't like reverse it. So like we're here today in a society that is very mixed in North America, whether you're talking about Canada or the US, like there is no such thing as completely undoing it and going back to where we once were. I think it's like we have to, and, and the fact that we even talk like that is detrimental to progress because there is no that you know that just keeps us fighting it keeps us also like um segregated amongst ourselves it's like that's to me not the way to progress we need to progress the conversation by saying what's next not you know and that will take things like acknowledging different cultures you know ex acceptance of all cultures allowing an equality amongst genders cultures all you know lgbtq everybody and just in some kind of an acceptance of cultures within cultures you know we talked about that too like within one culture you know there seems to be an idea that we we all all first nations are the same we all have the same philosophies we all you know which couldn't be further from the truth and lacks the color of what humans actually have so I don't know this it's the suggestive of a black or whites you know this this way or that way but there's everything is so gray you know so I I don't know personally I have a hard time with that question because I, I you can't we're not going back that's impossible we're not going to erase roads and of course there was good things that came and it's like we're no one's trying to erase the good things just like it, nothing's all evil or all good. We live in a yin yang. So there is obviously going to be good things, but that doesn't take away or take away from the bad things that happen. Just like the bad things that happen don't take away from the good. They just are and they coexist together. That was I like mean, a rant, I feel I like, <laughs> no, it wasn't. You know, it, it's a difficult question to ask because I mean, you can go in lots of different directions. I mean, the question on what I'm proud of with with regard to what we've created, I think that there, 
I would, I'm going to make it pretty narrow it down a bit. I would say I'm very proud of the resiliency of black people in this country and the culture, the culture that um, we've created and how it's contributed it, to American culture. So much of it's like the foundation for so much of what is called what people know as American culture. And I think that that's really positive. I don't think we have to go back to anything to be um, recognized to be looked at as humans, to, uh, to be authentic. You know, I, I think that um, what that we should continue to push to be fully embraced, you know, as people. As, uh, <laughs> and whatever we decide to call ourselves, <laughs> whatever, you know, um, clothing we decide to wear or, um, you know, uh, traditions we just, you know, want to uh, to continue. So I don't, I don't, I don't see a deliberate effort to go back to any kind of way of being necessarily. I think if anything, people are pushing to find ways to um, to highlight commonality and coming together, or at least making space for people to do it. What do you think, Angela? Um, I think very well said to both Amber and Gerald. They both said many of the things that I would also share. Um, I was thinking about a writer, an indigenous writer. I believe the title of the article I'm thinking of is Decolonization is Not a Metaphor, but I'll send it to our group and maybe it can be in the in the access, like for a link for people to read from. But it's a woman that talks about respecting the histories of the cultures like modernization or traditional understandings, whichever tradition we're speaking of, and recognizing that, so I'm gonna take that, she was talking about, again, we can't go backwards, so where we are now, seeing, seeing the strengths and how can we work together? How can we combine? How can we be appreciative of differences, appreciate, like aware, again, like what we're talking about, a safe space to, to be heard and seen, but also with that awareness of that we are a globalized world now. It's 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 a hybrid, um, like straight root tradition. It's very rare that there are areas that haven't been touched by colonization, and some things like Canada. I love that during COVID, I've got healthcare, like I do. And it feels so fucking privileged, pardon my language, but, <laughs> but, and, and I was actually speaking with my younger brother about how I grew up as a punk, um, an artist, art, art, like modern world as an artist outsider, individual. So politics to me was all that. Leaves me really unknown, like uneducated. And now because of COVID, I'm like, oh, I have an appreciation at least for an attempt that's being made at, at a community that, that protects each other. So that needs to be expanded. That needs to include all of the community, like the people, the bodies that are sharing these, the space, the lands that we're talking about. But it's, it's, it's how do we move forward from where we're at as opposed to, you know, wiping one part out or only seeing the, you know, allowing change, you know? Some people that do bad things have to do that to learn how to do good things. And if you don't forgive, we don't go far as a, as a human, right? So, does not mean to just carry. 
<laughs> you know, carry on though. <laughs> There's so much that needs to be changed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're going to perform an experiment and I, I want you guys to participate in the experiment. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> in 10 years, I want to run for office. I want to run with the Green Party for Congress. And I know that whatever I say right now is going to be digged up and people are going to like tear it to pieces. <laughs> kind of like, so I'm actually doing the, the opposite. Like I'm going to say something and I want you guys to tear me apart and tell me if I'm crazy or not. Because I think that's the issue with cancel culture. Like somebody says something and everybody jumps on it and like, oh, that person's a piece of crap, get rid of them. And there's no conversation. There's no discussion. There's no opportunity for them to redeem themselves or to explain themselves or work through the issues. So I saw something that it, you know, I'm a very passionate person from what you can tell so far that uh, I see something, I react or overreact and then it blows up and then it gets worse. So let me tell you what happened. So um, a friend of mine decided to post um, a documentary, it's like a report on uh, cultural appropriation in Japan. And they have these like gorgeous people from Japan who are in love with, um, it's, it's funny, in, in, the, in the video, they use three different terms and they're actually contradictory, but they use them all together. <clears throat> they use the term cholo, they use the term chicano, and they use the term, um, I guess, uh, Mexican and American. And they're supposed to all mean the same thing. So whoever did the report didn't even do their homework uh, because they're all different. So if you guys know anything about LA in the 1930s or in the 80s or 90s, there's this um, mentality of wearing like um, tank tops and um, beanies and like goatees and people wearing really tight clothes, the girls, and then the boys are wearing flannels or whatever, and they're riding uh, low riders and all this stuff. So that's, that comes from a place and I'm going to discuss that. But in the video, they have this um, nice lady from, from uh, Japan who wants to dress like the movies that she saw from the nineties. And she's, she's dressed up like a, I guess a Chicana or whatever from LA, from East LA. So, um, and then she goes to a tattoo artist and she, and she writes a pinche loca on her chest. And pinche loca means damn crazy person or damn fool. And it's like offensive. Like, it's like calling yourself uh, the B word. Um, but it's in Spanish and it's like, and she's Japanese. So she's taking something that she saw in, a, in an Instagram account or whatever, and she's putting that on, wearing dark lipstick. She's, um, she's walking around with like baggy clothes and then she goes and hangs out with these guys who went to LA and they saw lowriders and they brought that to, to Japan. Can you hear me, Joe? Yes. So, uh, so then they, they say that there's a rapper who raps in Japanese, English, and Spanish. And she went even further. She has like a, a heart with fire on it. And then you go to her house and she has calaveras and she has saints. She has all the rosaries and all the stuff. And it's just um, like a little out there for me. So this was my response. But first, some, somebody else, when they saw the video, they said, um, 
Nobody culturally appropriates like the Japanese. One of the best uh, rockabilly bands I ever saw were some Japanese guys who could barely speak English beyond hawking their merch, of course. So, um, so I hear that in Japan, there's like a cultural struggle because they want complacency or everybody to be the same. So there's people who are rebelling against that. So, they, so the way they portrayed it in the in documentary was that they were honoring Latino culture. But one of the ways they honor Latino culture is that the girl was buying clothes online and she bought like a prisoner um, costume. And that was one of the outfits that she wore. And it was like an orange suit with numbers. So then um, that brought a, a, a reaction for me. And then the other thing is that we're using the term cholo. Cholo means gangster in Spanish or someone who's like a rebel. And then they were mixing Cholo, Mexican-American, and um, what was the other term that I used? Um, Chicano. Chicano. So Chicano is uh, the activist from the 70s. So this was my response. And I want to see if you guys think I'm a judgmental fool or do I have a point? Uh, at first, I was confused. Then I was impressed. Then I thought they were posers. Then I felt that not even people from Mexico understand prison culture, which is being confused with political activism. Then they started talking about worse stereotypes and the rapper lady just made me mad. Reducing someone's culture to rosaries and calaveras is idiotic. And since she has nothing to do with any of those things, I just it's just a big joke and a way of exploiting a look. Americans do this all the time, so there is nothing to be excited about. When I had red lights, people made fun of them, but my Rasta friend said that the hair does not mean cultural appropriation if you have hair that is able to do that. I saw the reasoning behind dreadlocks from Rastas as being a biblical concept that we can all relate to of finding beauty and strength in your hair, no matter how it looks. I also felt a connection with their struggle and their sense of otherness. This video seems like these individuals are wearing Halloween costumes, and I would love to see if their burritos taste right or are worse than Taco Bell. They show the Japanese guys eating burritos while they're hanging out in their lowriders. So uh, just a lot of stuff that was stirred up in me. Uh, but then I, I told my wife how I felt and she's like, okay, leave it at that. Don't post anything anymore. You're, you're going to make people mad. And I was like, no, they, I'm so mad. And I, I think this is so terrible. So I just kept on going. Then I posted again. If I sound defensive or judgmental, think about this. Some of us Latinas would like for people not to assume that we're all into what I call self-destructive modes of expression. Tattoos and bandanas might make you look cool and be done in an artistic and creative way, but they're often associated with criminal criminality and antisocial behavior. If you're cool with that, awesome, but just like I had to cut my dreadlocks to get employed in the healthcare field, some of us might have to compromise a little. Conformity is terrible and a sad way of living, but it's the reality we have to struggle with. I want for my daughters not to have to choose between cholo living and modernity but know that you can be many things at once and don't do things that pigeonhole you to a lifestyle that is not helpful or moving the community forward. But getting stuck in 1940s barrio mentality is tribal, sexist, and self-deprecating. Boom. Um, I know that's a lot to unpack, but uh, the last part is like the most problematic one because then people are going to come after me and say, so you're saying that dressing up is... is you know, cool 1940s 
uh, pachuco or whatever they were doing, that that's self-deprecating and then that's self-destructive. And the reason that I say that it is is because that's how we're depicted in movies. And they were saying that their favorite movie was um, American Life or one of those movies where there are people, there are gangs fighting against each other. And they were saying that women were depicted as as strong. And from what I know of certain kinds of people in, in my community, it's actually very uh, sexist. They're, they're always, women have to look a certain way to be appreciated. And then they, they threw in the movie Selena and Selena had nothing to do with gangsters. Selena was a Jehovah's Witness and she was um, part of the different type of community. So they were trying to say, well, it's, they're not only criminals and gangsters, they're also, you know, famous people and successful people like Selena. So there were so many things that stirred up in me. And again, uh, I am uh, very, um, you know, easy to get upset or, or to make a fuss. But because um, you guys haven't seen the video, that's a lot to put on you. But it just, it, it was it's a, a lot. It's kind of like in the movie, Good Engine, they they show how in the 70s, everybody claimed they had a, a, a Native American ancestor, like their grandma was a Indian princess. And then you, you would see them with a headdress and with like little lines or like with the headband. And the guy saying, nobody wore a headband in any So they always use these stereotypes. And like the Japanese are like, oh, this is what they do in the movie, so that must be reality. And I know that if you put tattoos in certain parts of the US, you actually get picked up by the police because they mean certain things. So it's an act of privilege for a Japanese wealthy young lady to put damn fool on her chest because no one's ever gonna uh, catch her or assume things of her because she's not a true Chicana who's putting her life on the line or, or afraid of cops or whatever. So, um, and then they had a, a, a scholar saying that the Chicano activism brought about rights for uh, farmers and this and that. And it's like, again, you're mixing gangsters with activists, with just normal uh, Latin Americans or Mexican Americans, or people who just came from Mexico. You're mixing them all together and putting them all into one pile of what you saw on TV. So, um, that's that's where it brought up all these issues. Um, I see Amber uh, wanted to say something. So what do you think? No, I just was actually reacting to what you're saying because it's like it's everywhere. I mean, I it's honestly like a conversation that I've been personally having a lot and just trying to find that fine. There's a really blurred line between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. And, you know, being in the beauty and fashion business, this is a conversation I'm having all the time. And I find it very interesting. And it's obviously a line that we haven't actually defined as like a society even. So I find it fascinating. But what I find interesting is two things about what you just said. Is the comment that, oh, the Japanese are so good at cultural appropriation. You know, I find the hypocrisy of anybody who lives anywhere in North America saying something like that just so wild, um, especially since, I don't know, 15 to 20 years ago, almost every North American was putting some kind of Japanese symbol on their body as a tattoo. So, you know, it's like we're all doing it. <laughs> I think it's really the, the we're all somewhat appropriating and I'm trying to really, again, wrap my brain around when is it appreciating the culture? 
you know, like, and when are you actually appropriating the culture? So what you've said is like such an extreme, that's character. That's like making a character out of a culture. They've made a character, a caricature, you know, it's like a cartoon. And I, like, I find it hilarious because I, I've heard stories of tattoo, Japanese symbolism tattoos being put on people like upside down, backwards, etc. Like it's the ignorance, the unknown ignorance of, of it all, like to write such a, a funny, it's like putting squaw on your chest, essentially, it's what you're saying to me. And it makes me like laugh because now you're just really, literally making yourself look really, really dumb. So it's, I don't know if it's that's much insight. It's more just commentary. I think I just gave you. And real quick, before we, we move forward, uh, when I got dreadlocks, it it was a struggle because I'm like, you know, people are going to assume certain things about me and my family. I knew they weren't going to like it, but I found an Argentinian uh, singer who had dreadlocks and it kind of boosted my confidence in getting them because I'm like, there's another Latino who, who appreciates that. And he sings reggae. And then there's a group of Rastas in Peru or, or Bolivia. And they're actually part of the Rasta community. And then there's a group of Rastas in Israel. And I was like connecting with like different groups, even though I wasn't a Rasta myself. I had a friend who who I met afterward who was very open and he, he wasn't offended. He he felt that it was kind of like, it, it was like neat that someone would be interested in doing that because it comes with a stigma. The moment that, that you have a certain type of hair, you get discriminated or people assume things about you. So it wasn't like, you are mocking us, you're actually like joining us. And and it was kind of like part of that, like spiritual understanding of, you know, your body is sacred and you're like honoring in a different way. So he, I don't know if he was flattered, but at least he wasn't offended or felt that it was an issue. And he was a convert to, to Rastafarianism and he was very welcome because they have a very open uh, perspective. Now, if you were into another type of thing where they're closed, then uh, maybe it would be different. I think that, that that's, that's the element that, that people don't think about. It's like if a Japanese person moved to East LA and they grew up around people who were into that culture, it would be different than if someone just takes it and, and bastardizes it and, and makes it. And then if they would have taken the best elements of it, like you're like I'm gonna do the Japanese version of this cool cars and cool makeup or whatever, then I would appreciate it. Be like, wow, they they reimagined it, but it was just like we're gonna copy it to the T from what we see on on Google. Like it wasn't like layers or like we're gonna take a trip to to Latin America to find out more about the Calaveras and the Virgins of Guadalupe. Like it was just like flat out. I'm just gonna buy a bunch of crap online and put it and make it look like an altar and that's it. So uh, I know that Picasso would take African symbols and incorporate them into his art. Eminem has a song and I think it's, it's, um, it's like publicity stunt. He claims that he bought a bunch of African symbols and, and gold and jewels and he went to a mall and he got beat up because he wasn't even half black and wanted to wear that. But he actually put that in the song because he, one of his first songs was very racist. And he was trying to say, no, I'm not racist. I'm like, I'm just someone who yes. struggles with identity. Um, Ger Gerald or Angela, do you have any thoughts? 
Gerald, I was gonna, I will, please speak. Hold on, I've got a kid knocking at the door. I'm on, I'm on a, I'm on a call. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I don't, I didn't have such, my, I didn't have a very, as strong of a reaction to that situation. And I don't know if it's because I don't have this expectation that people would kind of do the research and, um, rethink, um, a cultural expression or, um, characteristic as, you know, to rethink it in, in a new and present it in a, you know, a different way. I just feel like um, we're at, we're living in a time when people do um, dip in and borrow, or um, or drawn to things that 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 take them outside of the boxes that maybe they feel that they've been put in. You know, I don't know. Just I didn't have a I didn't have a strong of a reaction because I I guess I did, I don't have that expectation that people would do that. And I, some of it maybe because of the, the way uh, blacks have been depicted in this country over time, you know, um, in partnership with um, the um, marketing media community, you know, um, so, so I don't know, I don't I don't have a, a strong reaction at all. I think but I do think that um, it's good to let people know um, if if you if you feel that they've kind of crossed the line, and if their presentation of your culture is um, hurt hurts or harms you, is hurtful. Um, because sometimes people borrowed something as I think we talked about this a while back. It was like Miley Cyrus with the twerking. <laughs> when she did it on MTV or something like that. No one had ever thought about it. It was no big deal. But her presentation is also tied to, the, and their response is also tied uh, to the black community in some way because the origin of it came from our community. Um, yeah, so that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> what do you think, Angela? Uh, I've thought about cultural appropriation quite a lot um, and just what the definition is and a lot of the people I'm learning from or referencing from. It's it's a new-ish term to be used culturally and socially and I think it is a hard one to grasp. Um, and so far there's been a lot of understanding of if you're taking from a culture and you, from from a dominant culture, if you are pulling from another culture and you are gaining benefit from that, that becomes appropriation. If you're making money or you're taking an identity and you're you're taking from another, um, that's like so far the, you know, elevator pitch on the definition between appreciation and appropriation. Like I can appreciate, um, I'm a Vipassana meditator. I sit and I meditate in a style that's being taught from Goenkaji, which is not a Canadian teacher or a any one of my heritages, but I don't then go and teach that and make money from it. I, I reference people to him if they want to learn that. Um, but with your situation in specific, the thing that did pop, I did have that like this similar point that Amber made of to start off by saying the Japanese are so because <laughs> the world is doing it. And just to remember not to tokenize one person for a cultural 
a cultural huge problem like that when i when i heard that story i felt empathy for both um not saying that like her action is ignorant but it's it's capitalistically she she's looking for what she sees as being an identity that's that's freer or exciting compared like without knowing and i don't know maybe that's it i don't know but it like so i can only hypothesize but it seems like she's one person representing a very big cultural imbalance um for for ideas of expression or freedom and then appro like appropriating that and not recognizing that, that that action causes your body when you see it to react and to and to um feel slightly appropriated <laughs> um and, and misunderstood and disrespected and, and i think that's huge in you because it's triggering to a culture that does that every we were talking about um uh microaggressions like it's everywhere um and that's a huge sign of it so it's easy to go yeah that her bad but not sure she even knows what she's doing you know like not sure she's aware of how deeply rooted what her choice she might be like oh that looks really cool <laughs> you know or, or like it's it's and if she doesn't know it why why is she in a position where she can't see that where did what is her culture teaching her where where are we all coming from in that story um so i feel your pain but what i also really like is when you started out by saying that you're running for office and i feel like that like where are you putting your energy where is it the most beneficial like because that's a lesson about culture huge and we can't like if we pick at the one person like that really that person that you could try and talk to but you know they're never going to have compassion that's just hurting you to even try and engage with that person so how, how do you take that message that you're trying to share and what you're repeating and share that into a much broader it's exciting um that that observation and how to give it more more power more fuel to be heard um to a wider audience that instead of like the, the system itself as opposed to the person that's a part of the system right well, not that that's super easy that's the last <laughs> question for this session is um do we waste our time and they mentioned this in the in the panel after the the showing of the the native american the film about the exploitation of native american stereotypes and stuff like that is do you waste your time you know answering someone on twitter for their um disrespect or their lack of sensitivity or do you fight for bigger issues and and they're saying the time that you're spending complaining and pointing out the the evil or the bad things that other people do is time that takes away from your creativity and from your ability to for for your your artistic um talents to to shine for the sake of your people or politics or whatever you do that they could bring the community forward so um that's that, that would be my issue with microaggressions because now it has even become corporate uh, corporate I took a um, sensitivity training test, and we talked about this show where now it's just a, a checkbox or a, a certificate that you get. Like, I am not a racist because I know not to say these mean things in front of people, and it's in or at work. Now I can say them at home, but I don't say them at work. And then the stereotypes they had is like, if you tell someone you must be smart because they're Asian. That's a microaggression. 
It's like, come on, man, that's a compliment. Or they did some other silly ones like that. So do we really focus on that and we make it another checkbox or do we like fight institutional racism and, and just lack of kindness? Because I think that if we make it all about race or we make it all about sexism or whatever, sometimes we forget that the ultimate goal is for people to be kinder, for people to be more aware and, and interested in the well-being of others, to not have a callous heart where you just don't care what they think. I know someone who's very progressive and very active and stuff like that, and they say things that are very hurtful because they think that's part of like their personality. Like, I'm just, you know, a tough person that gets things done or whatever, but they're unaware of how they come across as very forceful and, and careless for the feelings of others. So you can get into this like warrior mode where it's like, yeah, you know, we're going to, you know, dismantle the system and stuff like that. But the way you're doing it is is part of the aggression and the, and the conflict. Instead of like we were talking last time, it's like you're bringing healing and you're bringing um, a greater understanding through a different mode instead of this constant. And maybe that's where I need to learn to not be so like, well, let me slam you with my post and respond to your stupid <laughs> post. And it's like, thank you, just read my mind. <laughs> I don't know, David. I don't think that when you're responding that it's as aggressive as you're being told or that you're you're allowing your filtered viewpoint. I think that you're quite eloquent. I don't think there's much aggression there at all. You know, um, this is not the first time that you've asked for my opinion on something you've responded to somebody. And I never actually think that there's anything but education there. I think there's a little bit of your own conditioning happening, mm -hmm. you know, where society has told you or other people have told you that you need to calm down. I, I really don't feel like you're being aggressive or confrontational in anything that you've shared with us up until now. So I just want to say that, number one. And again, this is like... <laughs> You, you being in your conditioned state, you know, but I also like, I don't know, I really oppose cancel culture. So like, I really don't think that it will bring us anywhere. It's actually just gonna stop us right in our tracks of any kind of advocacy or advancement. So as far as answering certain people, like I get asked this often because my, my whole media is about advocacy. So, I often will respond to people who are toned out, like, you know, and I get asked uh, like offside or in private messages or whatever, like, why do I respond when that person is clearly never going to hear me? And the, the fact is, is like, if this was a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I would probably just be irritated inside and walk away because the only person affected by my response is me and that person. But when you're talking about on social media and you have a, a following that's reading your posts, I like to think anyways, that my response is landing at other people and therefore affecting change. You know, people who maybe aren't interacting, people who maybe aren't as overtly, um, I don't wanna use like racist per se, but like people who don't see the racist tendencies, you know, might have an aha moment from my response to that overt racist that came on my page or whatever. So, and I think our expectation of 
of creating change in one conversation is also a bit egotistical. So like, you know, just because somebody walked away and we think, oh, that did nothing. Well, we don't know that that did nothing. They could be thinking about it for hours, weeks, years, and then eventually get to a place of like understanding. So I don't know. I mean, do I want to go to battle with a bunch of trolls all the time? No, like that's emotionally draining and definitely not what I signed up for when I decided to go more into advocacy. But like at the same time, I also picked advocacy as sort of a route that I'm doing. So I have to expect to have the conversations, I guess, too, because earlier in about how the legacy of advocacy because of your success like there is an expectation if you're from a marginalized community that if you're successful that you will automatically go into some kind of advocacy for that group and I think that is also super unfair like it's certainly a great platform that you can now utilize but I don't think it should be an expectation that they now speak for their communities or that they advocate for the community either because it takes an emotional toll on somebody to just expect that just because they're successful that that should be their next stage is I don't know not really it's like assigning a role to somebody that they didn't ask for so I don't know did I answer a question or did I go on a tangent being willing to to partake of a four-hour conversation about all these uh, topics, and um, and I think we need to be there for each other. We need to support each other because whenever you're doing something new, whenever you're trying to address issues, there is that that self-censoring or that hesitancy. Like, what is it going to take out be taken out of context, or what? Like mm-hmm. now, it's like there's this fear that anything that is put online will never disappear. It will be there forever. And it's like, you know what? I don't want to live in a culture where every single thing that comes out of your mouth is scrutinized because like that, you know, that is the true censorship and the true thought police where even discussing things now can be um, problematic. And if I didn't care, I wouldn't be talking about this. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that that say, well, I have better things to do to be talking about race in America and the Americas or whatever. Um, And to even be willing to learn. Go ahead, Angela. Um, I wanted to say just on keeping with that, when I did that and I was like, oh, you read my mind, I actually thought my body was like, don't say that. Because to go with what Amber is saying, I appreciate like when you were talking about do we you know, go for here or go for here to make change, any way that you feel the space to make change, do it. <laughs> like if that made you feel that, say that. Like I fully, I fully support whatever action anyone needs to take. Some people are better at this area in making change through like change to legislators. Some people are better at speaking one-on-one. Some people are better like this, like wherever your voice needs to go is, is, is how I think it needs to be done. Like we're all working together to, to shift a system, right? And many systems intertwining. And I'm so appreciative of, the different energies that push each of us and come out in the way that we speak our our own unique way of sort of with with peace but also with with intention for change activism so i think it's just an interesting time that we're living in and i think that uh, because of it uh, we need to 
or I need to, you know, strive to be as open as possible, you know, and patient. Because uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, but I think that if we're trying to promote good good things, hopefully that'll come back to us. Good things will come back. And we appreciate everybody making time to be part of this conversation. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Mystic Skeptic.